Yeah, th- are you all ready for this? I think. I don't know where the thing is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fucking episode of Literally Literary. With us, as always, Mr. Sean. I am Joey Bonnier, and here he is, the master of vocabulary himself, Mr. Sean O'Brien. I am hardly a master of vocabulary. Cunning linguist. It's all relative. That was very good. That's the that's the uh, fifth or sixth most funny. Thing. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Mm. somewhere in that range. Yeah, right on. That's up there. Good job. Yeah. How you guys doing? You all right. Yeah. What do we get, Johnny? Food. Um, you got a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> How many sandwiches have you had today? This is this will be like honestly my. Uh, so I exaggerated earlier, but it literally is like my fifth sandwich. Although t- <laughs> technically, according to O'Brien math, I got a sandwich as well. I mean, O'Brien math. What'd you get? I got a cheeseburger. Oh yeah, it's a sandwich. According to O'Brien math, it's a sandwich. Yeah, it's it a, is a sandwich. It's a square and a rectangle. It's a sandwich. Yeah. It's not a sure. Whatever. Okay, Earl of Sandwich. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Earl. Anyway, I have books. What books do you have? Um, so I brought a stack with me today. Mm, what a I have. Um, I have uh, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. What's going on, <laughs> Sean? You can't not do it. I did it last time. So you can't just like do it. You can't do it this time. F. Scott Fitzgerald. I have Tender is the Night by F. Scott Fitzgerald. (laughs) Man. I have The Beautiful and the Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald. (gasps) F. Scott Fitzgerald. Callbacks. I have This Side of Paradise by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, this is not turning out well. I have Tales of the Jazz Age by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I have Flappers and Philosophers by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Please tell me of something and else. And I have West of Sunset by Stuart Onan. <laughs> what? And I I also have uh, George Orwell's 1984, which we can continue from last time if you would like, Mr. Bunyer. Because I felt really 84. bad that we I felt really bad that we just like whatever. So I have this whole little. Like, Did you really record a podcast without me? Yeah. Why would you do such a thing? Because otherwise, we'd be sitting here for an hour Can't staring you just at each talk other. Talk or watch a yeah, show. Yeah, we did exactly that. We, we talked. We well, just had you, without record. recording on microphones. <laughs> exactly. We can't talk about anything. We have three <laughs> shows and an hour. Can you watch a TV show next time? No, no. You're just going to record without me every time I'm I'm late. Yeah, well, you can try. Even and though get you here said time. you were going to be here at nine o'clock, it's totally my bad. I forgot to tell you I'd be here at eight. <laughs> I don't understand how that's my fault. You guys should be recording without me. It's not your fault. You it's just know. that we had just, an hour. So, so you say a time. I didn't uh, say it was your fault. You come an hour early and record without me. I was that's ready what at happened. eight. True. You I don't see a problem with that. I do see a problem with that. So will you do it again? Do you see around it? It'll happen again. Do yes. I see? A, how do I see around? Do you I see? Have... Do you see a way around? No. It? How do I see? A you way want to... us to sit here for an hour and not record something? Listen, get you done? I d- that is up to you. What you do oh, with your well, time? Oh, well, then good. We're going to record <laughs> in the time that we have. You can do anything you want. Anything you can even you... do some sort of sexual favor to Sean Fall. I think that recording without me is. You know, not cool, bro. You know, O'Brien cannot be <laughs> unproductive. I have to work. This isn't fun for me, Joey. He drives an hour to this get here. This isn't fun for me. How is this not fun you guys for you? You know that, right? This is fucking work. What is wrong with you? This isn't fun. Yeah, you're this doing is this wrong, work man. for me. 
This is work. Do you know it's not work for either of us, right? <laughs> Everything I do is work. That's not true. I mean, according to science, yes, but not not in real life. I, I, yeah, kind of according to real So life. you yeah. never watch a TV show? Not for fun, no. Jesus Christ. Is shitting work? Yeah. Uh, I'm working while I'm shitting, yeah. You always have something you're reading or, or writing? Yes. While you're shitting? Yes. Oh, okay. Didn't think that was going to happen. Really? I didn't think every single time he shits, he's going to be writing something. I didn't say writing something, but I have books and I have a fucking phone. Okay. Yeah. yeah pretty much almost everything I do is work. All right. Fine. You work a lot. Big deal. You're it's not a big deal. I'm just explaining. You're a working I'm, man. I'm illustrating the point that if you ask me to spend an hour here with literally microphones in front of me to not do anything, I'm going to do something. I would like you, I would prefer for you to watch something on the television. Whether it be an Amazon Prime TV show or No, because then I'd be like, we should be watching South Park. Or a YouTube clip. No, because then I'd be like, we should be watching South Park so we can get ahead. Why can't you just watch another show? Because I have work to do. It's not your fault. It was my fault. We were early. Oh, well, we've already established whose fault this was. But if there's now... Now what we're doing is trying to establish how this doesn't happen again. Okay, well, let 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 me help you out. If I get here and you guys have been sitting for an hour and not did shit, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. What? <laughs> do a politic agreeing without me. Okay. I command you. <laughs> Fine. We'll do so it. it is written. We'll so do what you want. Huh? Are we just reading 1984? To ma- to, to mark the pro- to mark the paper. <clears throat> Sorry. To mark it, to mark it, to buy a fat paper. To mark the paper was the decisive act. In small clumsy letters he wrote, April 4th. 1984. Joey, have you ever read 1984? Yes. You have? I did. Did you like it? I loved it. You were saying that something about earlier off mic, uh, the, the bestseller element of it. You've already said it on an episode, though, so what's the point of me saying it? That was last week. <laughs> that was last week. That was a week ago. So why would you want me to repeat something you already said? Were you just trying to embarrass me even more? <laughs> kind of. Hmm. How nice. He sat back. <laughs> a sense of complete helplessness had descended upon him. To begin with, he did not know with any certainty that the that this was 1984. It must be around that date, since he was fairly sure that his age was 39, and he believed that he had been born in 1944 or 1945, but it was never possible nowadays to pin down any date within a year or two. For whom, it suddenly occurred to him to wonder, was he writing this diary? For the future? For the unborn? His mind hovered for a moment round the doubtful date on the page, and then fetched up with a bump against the newspeak word, Double Think. For the first time, the magnitude of what he had undertaken came home to him. How could you communicate with the future? It was, of its nature, impossible. Either the future would resemble the present, in which case it would not listen to him, or it would be different from him, and his predicament would be meaningless. Message in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Never do that again. Yeah, that was pretty rough, man. <laughs> Sending out an SOS. Hi-oh. <laughs> oh. For some time he sat gazing stupidly at the paper. The telescreen had changed over to strident military music. It was curious that he seemed to merely... Uh, seemed not merely to have lost the power of expressing himself, but even to have forgotten what it was that he had originally intended to say. For weeks past, he had been making ready for this moment. <clears throat> it had never crossed his mind that anything would be needed except courage 
The actual writing would be easy. All he had to do was to transfer to paper the interminable, restless monologue that had been running inside his head literally for years. At this moment, however, even the monologue had dried up. We should, like, dump slime on each other or something anytime literally comes up in a... Or just find a drop, I think, would be easier. I'm not sure slime would be a good podcast. No, because I think that would create a drop. So, you know, you just start screaming because I dump (laughs) slime on you. (laughs) God damn it, Sean, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm assuming this is the slime from Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Man? Exactly. Moreover, his varicose ulcer had begun itching unbearably. He dared not scratch it because it di- because if he did, so it always became inflamed. If he did so, it always became inflamed. The seconds were ticking by. He was conscious of nothing except the blankness of the page in front of him, the itching of the skin above his ankle, the blaring of the music, and the slight booziness caused by the gin. Speaking of which, I'm drunk. I'm going to take a drink. Mm. What do you guys think about 1984, the Van Halen album? Unaware. Yeah, me too, actually. Okay. Move is on. that the one with Jump? <laughs> it is. I know Jump. For your love? Different. Suddenly, he began writing in sheer panic, only perfectly aware of what he was setting down. But his small but childish handwriting straggled up and down the page, shedding first its capital letters and finally even its full stops. When does the lady throw the hammer through the screen? 1984, of course. Hmm. <coughs> April 4th, 1984. Last night at the flicks, all war films. One very good one of a ship full of refugees being bombed somewhere in the Mediterranean. Audience much amused by shots of a great huge fat man trying to swim away with a helicopter after him. First you saw him wallowing along the water like a porpoise. Then you saw him through the helicopter's gun sights. Um, then he was full of holes and the sea around him turned pink and he sank suddenly as the holes had left in the, let in the water. Audience shouting with laughter as he sank. Then you saw a lifeboat full of children with a helicopter hovering over it. There was a middle-aged woman. Might have been a Jewess sitting in the bow with a little boy about three years old in her arms, little boy screaming with fright and hiding his head between her breasts as if he was trying to burrow right into her and the woman putting her arms around him and comforting him, although she was blue with fright herself, although the, all the time covering him as much as possible if she thought her arms could, as if she thought her arms could keep the bullets off him. Then a helicopter planted a 20 kilo bomb in among the terror. Uh, in among them, terrific flash, and the boat went all to matchwood. Then there was a wonderful shot of child's arms going up and right up into the air of a helicopter with a camera, and its nose must have followed it up there. There was a lot of applause from the party seats, but a woman down the porthole of a house suddenly started kicking up a fuss, shouting, uh, didn't, um, uh, shouting, didn't ouster, sorry, didn't Ouster have showed it not in front of the kids? Didn't didn't it ain't right not in front of kids? It ain't until the police turned up. Sorry, police turned her turned her out. I don't suppose anything happened to her. Nobody cares what the proles say. Typical prole reaction. They never. Winston stopped writing, partly because he was suffering from cramp. He did not know what had made him pour out this stream of rubbish, but his curious thing. Was that while he was doing so totally different memory had clarified itself in its mind to the point where he had almost felt equal to writing it down? It was, he now realized, because of this other incident 
that had totally decided to come home and begin, that he had suddenly decided to come home and begin the diary today. It had happened that morning at the ministry, if anything so nebulous could be said, could be said to happen. It was nearly 1100, and in the records department where Winston worked, they were dragging the chairs out of the cubicles and groping them in the center of the hall, opposite the big telescreen, in preparation for the two minutes' hate. Winston was just taking his place in one of the middle rows when two people, whom he knew by sight, but had never spoken to, came unexpectedly into the room. One of them was a girl he had so often passed in the corridors. He did not know her name, but he knew that, he, that she worked in the fiction department, Presumably, since he had sometimes seen her with oily hands and carrying a spanner, she had some mechanical job on one of the novel-writing machines. She was a bold-looking girl of about 27, with thick, dark hair, a freckled face, and swift, athletic movements. A narrow, scarlet sash, emblem of the junior anti-sex league, was wound several times around the waist of her overalls, just just tightly enough to bring out a shapeliness of her hips. Winston had disliked her from the very first moment he had seen her. He knew the reason. It was because of the atmosphere of hockey fields and cold baths and community hikes and general clean-mindedness which she managed to carry about with her. He disliked nearly all women, and especially the young and pretty one. Who plays hockey in a field? I was wondering that too. Field hockey, field field hockey yeah, players. Yeah, it's just weird. It's not real. Ooh, Says that's the Chicago white. Sexist. It was always the women and above all the young pretty ones who were the most bigoted adherents of the party adherents of the party the swallowers of slogans the amateur spies and nosers out of unorthodoxy but this particular girl gave him the impression of being more true than it ever was once when they passed in the corridor she had given him a quick sidelong glance which seemed to pierce right through him and for a moment had filled him with black terror the Ooh, idea he got a side eye the idea had even crossed his mind that she might be an agent of the thought police. That, it was true, was very unlikely. Still, he continued to feel a peculiar uneasiness, which had fear mixed up in it, as well as hostility, whenever she was anywhere near him. The other person was a man named O'Brien, a member of the Hello. inner party. Fuck that guy. And holder of some post so important and remo- so important and remote that Winston had only a dim idea of its nature. A momentary hush passed over the group of people round the chairs as they saw the black overalls of the inner party member approaching. O'Brien was a large, burly man with a thick neck and a coarse, humorous, brutal face. In spite of his formidable appearance, he had a certain charm of manner. He had a thick he had a trick of resettling his spectacles on his nose, which was, which was curiously disarming in some indefinable way. Curiously civilized. Just like Bernard in Westworld. It was a gesture which, if, no anyone, one gets that. if anyone had still thought in All such terms. All of my terms, wild, wild Westworld listeners do. We've talked about it at length. I'm currently... Do you think all three of them are listening? Wow. hundred. Shots fired. <laughs> God. I'm currently, you know, readjusting the spectacles on my nose. That's my job. In a disarming way. It's your job to change, to, You're gonna to, readjust, to narrate you readjust a, the spectacles <laughs> on my nose? No, to narrate you in a golf way. A golf way? currently laughing at my joke. Oh, I am a O'Brien. Golf way. Yeah. He's O'Brien. Golf clap? Golf clap. It was a gesture which, if anyone had still thought movie. in such terms, might have recalled an 18th century nobleman offering his snuff box. That's where I learned where phonology was. 
phrenology? It's yeah. the study of like the brain, the head size to to connote intelligence, correct? Uh, it's the study of the bumps in the head to denote many things about personality. Right. They're both correct, and they're both pseudoscience. Let's move and on. And they're both crazy racist. Yep. But Men at Work is a great movie. Winston had seen O'Brien perhaps a dozen times in almost as many years. He felt deeply drawn to him, not solely because he was intrigued by the contrast between O'Brien's urbane manner and his prizefighter's physique. Much more, it was because of his secretly held belief, or perhaps not even a belief, merely a hope, that O'Brien's political orthodoxy was not perfect. Something in his face suggested it irresistibly. And again, perhaps, it was not even unorthodoxy that was written in his face, but simply intelligence. But at any rate, he had had the appearance of being a person that you could talk to, if somehow you could cheat the telescreen and My get him along. My name's Anakin, and I'm a person. Winston had never made the smallest effort to verify this guess. Indeed, there was no way of doing so. At this moment, O'Brien glanced with his wristwatch, saw that it was nearly 1,100, and evidently decided to stay in, to stay in the records department until the two minutes hate was over. He took a chair in the same way Winston had a couple of places away. He took a sorry. He took a chair in the same row as Winston, a couple of places away. A small, sandy-haired woman who worked in the next cubicle to Winston was between them. The girl with dark hair was sitting immediately behind. The next moment, a hideous, grinding screech, as of the same monotonous machine running without oil, burst from the big telescreen at the end of the room. It was a noise that set one's teeth on edge and bristled the hair at the back of one's neck. Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> the hate had started. As oh, usual, yeah. as usual, the face of Emmanuel Goldstein, the enemy of the people, Ooh. had flashed onto the screen. There were hisses here and there among the audience. <laughs> the little sandy-haired woman gave a squeak of mingled fear and disgust. Goldstein <laughs> was the renegade and backslider who once, long ago, how long ago, nobody quite remembered, had been the one leading figures of the party, almost on a level with Big Brother himself, and then had engaged in the counter-revolutionary activities. He had condemned to death and had mysteriously escaped and disappeared. The program of the two minutes hate varied from day to day, but there was none in which Goldstein was not the principal figure. He was the primal traitor, the earliest defiler of the party's security. All subsequent crimes against the party, all treacheries, acts of sabotage, heresies, de uh, deviations sprang directly out of his teachings. Somewhere or other, he was still alive and hatching his conspiracies, perhaps somewhere beyond the sea, beyond the sea, under the protection of his foreign paymasters, perhaps even, so it was occasionally rumored, in some hiding place in Oceana itself. He's dead like Nelson Mandela. Joseph Bonnier, what is Oceana? Mm. I believe Oceana is their country. I forget, actually. So mm. it's um, the, the... Is it their continent? I think it's the question of the span of the British Empire. So, Oceania is a term. What does oh, it? Okay. Does, what, what is the kind of jurisdiction of Oceania? Like, what in is this it book? Only? Well, yes and no. I mean, I guess in general. Have you ever heard the phrase? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant in 1984 terms. Uh, no, we meant in general. In general. Oh, okay. What uh, does it mean? I think it's basically. Well, you're right. It, what it to me it means Australia and. Uh, a lot of countries that are island nations. Yeah, so oh, okay. it's, it's the continent of Australia rather than the island of Australia. Sure. Like Hawaii is part of the North American continent. Right. Uh, but like, for instance, I know Oceania also because they have their own um, 
uh, division in World Cup. So like they all compete with each other. So like ah, like okay. Australia competes with uh, like um, you know T- Tongo and hmm. you know Philippines, yeah, Tasmania, yeah, exactly Mal- Malaysia. I think Malaysia maybe. Oh yeah, unless they're in Asia. But like yeah, so Oceania has their own. So it's it is everywhere the sun never sets. Yeah. So interestingly enough, you made me think of British Empire when I thought of Australia. So I don't know why because they always dominate. Oh, okay. I see. I think, yeah, I think the reason is because Australia can't play themselves. They can't have a whole continent where they play themselves. So they're in Oceania where they play other. But yeah. I think in this sense, it's like they're all different, like East Asia and you know, West Asia. And Yeah, from my understanding. So this, this takes book, place in, you're in London, I believe. I don't I forget that. Is that true? I think he said so, right? Um, I forget. Yeah, I thought it was in that range. I don't. I don't know that London is ever specifically defined, though. Then I would guess Oceania encompasses England, like the British Empire. In yeah, general, I would guess that that's wherever the, the sun never sets. Yeah. Right on. That's kind of what we derive from the context too. We just weren't sure. Shawnee asked me last episode what Oceania yeah. meant, and I said we need boner. Boner. Well, yeah, you do. You were hey yo. No, no, don't. Winston's diaphragm was constricted. He could never see the face of Goldstein without a painful mixture of emotions. It was a lean Jewish face with a great fuzzy uh, aureole? Areola? Areola? I think maybe. I don't think so, though. A-U-R-E. Jews have really nice areolas. What's up? Yeah, areola of white hair and a small goatee beard. A clever face, and yet It's just a circle on his head. He's got the horseshoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Classic bald horseshoe pattern. And yet somehow inherently despicable with a kind of senile stillness and a long, thin nose near the end of near the end of which a pair of spectacles was perched. It resembled the face of a sheep and the voice, too, and had sheep-like quality. Goldstein was delivering his usual venomous attack upon the doctrines of the party, an attack so exaggerated and perverse that a child should have been able to see through it, and yet just plausible enough to fill one with an alarmed feeling that other people, less level-headed than oneself, might be taken in by it. He was amusing, Big Brother. He was denouncing the dictatorship of the party. He was demanding the immediate conclusion of peace with Eurasia. He was advocating freedom of speech. Freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of thought. He was crying hysterically and that the revolution had been betrayed. And all this in rapid polysyllabic speech, which was sort of a parody of the habitual style of orators of the party, and even contained newspeak words. More newspeak words, indeed, than any party member would normally use in real life. Alternative facts. And all the while, lest one should be in any doubt of the reality which Goldstein's uh, specious claptrap covered specious specious god damn it thank you shawnee specious claptrap covered behind his head on the telescreen there marched the endless columns of the eurasian army row after row of solid looking men with expressionless asiatic faces who swam up to the surface of the screen and vanished to be replaced by others exactly similar we have always been at war with eurasia the dull Rhythmic tramp of soldiers. There we go. The dull rhythmic tramp of of the soldiers' boots formed the background to Goldstein's bleating voice. Before the hate had proceeded for thirty seconds, uncontrollable exclamations of rage were breaking out from half the people in the room. The self-satisfied sheep-like face on the screen and the terrifying power of the Eurasian army behind it were too much to be borne. Besides, this. 
Uh, besides, the sight or even the thought of Goldstein produced the fear of uh, produced fear and anger automatically. He was an object of hatred more constant than either Eurasia or East Asia, since Oceania was at war with one of these powers. It was generally at peace with the other. But what was the strange? What was strange was that although Goldstein was hated and despised by everybody almost every day, and a thousand times, and a thousand times a sorry. A day on platforms, on the telescreen, in newspapers, and books, his theories were refuted, smashed, ridiculed, held up to the general gaze for the pitiful rubbish that they were. In spite of all this, his influence never seemed to grow less. Always, there were fresh dupes waiting to be seduced by him. A day never passed when spies and saboteurs acting under his directions were not unmasked by the thought police. He was the commander of a vast shadowy army, an underground network of conspirators dictated to the overthrow of the state. The Brotherhood, its name was supposed to be. Isis. There were also whispered stories of a terrible book, a compendium of all the heresies of which Goldstein was the author and which circulated clandestinely here and there. It was a book without a title. People referred to it, if at all, simply as the book. But one knew of, uh, but one knew of such things only through vague rumors. Neither the Brotherhood nor the book was a subject that any ordinary party member would mention if there was any way of avoiding it. In its second minute, the hate rose to a frenzy. People were leaping up and down in their places and shouting at the tops of their voices in an effort to drown the maddening, bleeding voice that came from the screen. The little sandy-haired woman had turned bright pink, and her mouth was opening and shutting like that of a landing fish. Even O'Brien's heavy face was, fr was flushed. He was sitting very straight in his chair, his powerful chest swelling and quivering as though he was standing up to the assault of a wave. The dark-haired girl, standing behind Winston, had begun crying out, Swine! 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 And suddenly, she picked up a heavy Newspeak dictionary and flung it at the screen. It struck Goldstein's nose and bounced off. The voice continued inexorably. In a lucid moment, Winston found that he was shouting with the others and kicking his heel violently against the rung of his chair. The horrible thing about the two minutes hate was not that one was obliged to act a part, but that it was impossible to avoid joining in. Within 30 seconds, any pretense was like always unnecessary. A hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness, a desire to kill, to torture, to smash faces in with a sledgehammer, seemed to flow through the whole group of people like an electric current, turning one even against one's will with into, uh, into a grimacing, screaming lunatic. And yet, the rage that one felt was an abstract, undirected emotion, which could be switched from one object to another like the flame of a blow lamp. Thus, at one moment, Winston's hatred was not turned against Goldstein at all, but, on the contrary, against Big Brother, the party, and the thought police. And at such moments, his heart went out to the lonely, derided heretic on the screen, sole guardian of truth and sanity in a world of lies. And yet the very next instant, he was at one with the people about him, and all that was said of Goldstein seemed to him to be true. Those moments... His secret loathing of Big Brother changed into adoration, and Big Brother seemed to tower up, an invincible, fearless protector standing up like a rock, the, uh, standing like a rock against the hordes of Asia. And Goldstein, in spite of his isolation, 
His helplessness and the doubt that hung about his very existence seemed like some sinister enchanter capable by the mere power of his voice of wrecking the structure of civilization. It was even possible at moments to switch one's hatred in the... Huh? At this point, I guess we're going to have to call it. Continue, Joey. Well, let's get some food going. Why don't you hit the button and I'm I'll gonna uh, try if I could fucking find take it. us out. I'm gonna try, I promise. Thank you for listening to another episode of 1984. I mean, literary, <laughs> literary. We might just keep going, actually. Why? You can keep going. I kind of feel like. Just so, is that okay with you, Daddy? Then we can do Animal Farm. After the fucking year and a half of doing this episode, we already did Animal Farm. No, I meant like, we'll just read the whole oh, book. Oh, the whole book. Just read the whole Books book. Books on tape. Yeah, we'll just do it.